Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. This episode of Stuff You Should Know is brought to you by GoToMeeting. We all have to meet, but the average cost of a single business trip is $1,000. With just one click, you can save time and money and have your meetings online with affordable and easy-to-use GoToMeeting. Use GoToMeeting for sales presentations, product demos, training sessions, collaborating on documents, and more. And at $49 per month for unlimited meetings, it saves time, money, and travel. Try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com slash stuff. That's GoToMeeting.com slash stuff. Hola, bienvenidos al podcast. And what the heck was that? That was not you, my friend. No, it wasn't. Clearly. That was the booming voice of our buddy that we met down there, who had such an impressive <laughs> voice for radio. We yeah. said, we've got to get this guy to record our podcast intro, if we can use it. Yeah, he's uh, he, he works at one of the schools we went to. Yeah. And he he was emceeing an event, and we're like, holy cow. Yeah, boy, was, was he. He's the... Um, the Guatemalan Mel Torme. <laughs> yeah, the Velvet Fog. Yeah, and this is a very special pair of podcasts, right, Chuck? Absolutely. Our Guatemalan adventures. Yes. Our Guatemalan, not their. No, Our. Ours. Yeah. So um, Chuck and I and Jerry went down to Guatemala, uh-huh. as Team. many of the listeners know. Team SYSK. Team SYSK. Nice, Chuck. Um, and our eyes were open quite a bit. Uh, you could say that. Yeah. We were originally going to go down... Uh, we should probably tell the backstory. Do you want to take it? Chuck Chuck loves emailing people back, especially <laughs> when they say, do you want to come to Guatemala with this? We'll yeah, pay for exactly. it. That's pretty much how it went down. We got an email from a uh, fan named Ann Dempsey, our buddy now. Yes, yeah, she is bud. And she emailed us, uh, I don't know, last year, last fall, and said, hey, I work for this nonprofit called Cooperative for Education. We do work in Guatemala supplying school books and uh, computer centers for rural, indigenous, poor people in Guatemala. And check out our video and our website, and we'd love it if you guys came down. Uh, we'll, we'll sponsor you to come down on this trip and see what you think about it. No strings attached, of course. We just think you would enjoy it and you know have an, a great experience. Right. That's pretty much how it happened. And we're like, what's the catch, Ann? What's your what's your game here? Right. And she really was like, no, really, we just want you to see. I mean, if yeah. you guys want to mention us on the podcast or something, that'd be awesome. Right. Uh, because they are donor-driven organization. Sure. Like uh, all nonprofits. Exactly. Um, because <laughs> nonprofit can't turn a profit. No. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we went down there initially with the idea of like, okay, we can't just completely throw to this organization. Let's do one on can uh, education alleviate poverty? Can it actually yeah. happen? Because that's what COED does. Right. Well, originally she just asked for us to come down and then we were like, wait a minute, why don't we bring Jerry and then we can record down there and do our first like on the road live recording type right. of deal. That was your idea. I think I was snacking while you were thinking about you were, that. You were way down with it, though. Yeah. So, Chuck, we never go anywhere unprepared, or I should say we never do anything. I don't put on my pants without doing a little research first <laughs> to find out if overnight while I was sleeping, somebody figured out a better way to do it. Sure. Right? Yeah. 
And that is true. Uh-huh. Um, so we did some research on Guatemala, and um, I actually have a little story for you. The night before we left, I secretly wrote a note to my dear Yumi telling her that I love her in case anything happens to me. I really <laughs> wanted to make sure she knew that. I went down thinking that there's a 40% chance I was going to lose my life in Guatemala. Yeah, here's a little tip. If you guys are going to travel in some country that's not, you know, like France or Italy, don't go to the State Department website. Isn't no. that where you found it? Yeah. To read, like, the travel warnings and all. Because you go to some of these countries that are a little off the beaten path, and they do. They make it sound like you will be lucky if you come back alive. Yeah, and that's exactly what I thought. Um, there's about 18 paragraphs. You were scared. That detail kidnappings, <laughs> ransoms, beheadings. Sure. Um, straight up murder. Yeah. Uh, just, it sounds like the country is just overrun with criminals. And disease. Yes. All manner of disease. We got shots out the yin-yang. What, what did we get? Hep A. We got lockjaw, tetanus. Yeah, I got a... It wasn't dip Ted, it was Tet something like that. I don't we, know we, what we they shot me of full of. I, I just hold my <laughs> arm out when somebody presents me with a syringe. Yeah. Jerry got sick, actually, um, from the shots ahead of time. Uh-huh. And then a little bit of foreshadowing. Yes. Little Chucky got sick on the way back. Yeah, I think I ingested some ice from uh, a rum drink or two yeah, there's on the some, last night. There's some precautions you have to take. Oh, and to finish my story, Yumi found the secret note within hours of us leaving. <laughs> so... That worked out well. Yeah, it's great. Um, all right, Chuck, we also did some background on the country. And one of the first things you find out about Guatemala when you look into it is that it had a pretty serious civil war. Yeah, for about 30 years. 36, my friend. Yeah, that's what I said about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's about 40 years. Yeah. But uh, sure, internal conflict. Uh, it formally ended in 1996. That's a long time to be under a civil war. Yeah. And actually, um, Guatemala is kind of this very put-upon Latin American state. Um, it was run by a dictator in the up to the 40s when there was a, uh, I don't know if it was a bloodless revolution, but I think it was one of the softer revolutions. And there were some liberals running the show for about 10 years, and Guatemalans still refer to it as uh, 10 years of spring, right, Chuck? Right. They refer to everything in regards to spring. It's the land of eternal spring. Ten years of spring. The spring is like the spring spring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, so they, they had this great, this area, this time of peace. Um, and part of that was involved taking land from the United Fruit Company, uh-huh. which owned a bunch of land it wasn't using and redistributing it to, uh, farmers. Right. right? And United Fruit Company didn't like this. Went to the CIA and said, Hey, you know, you got some lefties in your backyard. Right. You should probably support a coup. CIA back to coup, end of uh, the 10 years of spring, and the beginning of the Civil War. Right. Yeah. Which they did not refer to as 10 years of summer <laughs> no. that followed the spring. No. No, it was pretty bad. And we'll get into a couple of stories. We got a couple of stories while we were down there. Yeah. A couple of, like, bad massacres that happened. Yeah. There were, um, I think, 100,000 killed. Right. And 100,000 disappeared is what they call them, which... Meant killed, killed that they didn't find your body. Sure. Um, and they, uh, a later uh, Truth Commission report concluded that uh, 93% of the atrocities committed in that in that civil war were done by government soldiers. Right. And actually, oftentimes they disguise them like to make it look like the guerrillas had done it to drum up um, resentment, antipathy, sure toward them. Yeah. Wow. It was a it was a bad 36 years for Guatemala. Yeah. And like you said, it ended in 1996. So 
they're still kind of coming out of this, right? Oh yeah, very much. So, uh, th- I think more than half of Guatemalans are direct descendants of the Mayan people. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, some of them, like you said, speak in the Mayan tongue still. Chichicao? Some of them don't even speak Spanish. Right. Many of them. Right. Yeah, I mean, if, if you run into a Guatemalan who speaks Spanish, likely they're bilingual because they speak their indigenous Mayan tongue and Spanish as well. Right. They are one of the most populous uh, Central American countries. Yep. Most of their population is rural, and 56% live below the poverty line. And that's Guatemala's poverty line. Yeah, we, that's a very important thing to point out. Not it's, America's it's poverty not, line. It's very different. And they are uh, mainly agricultural, uh, labor, industry, services. Industry is only about 15%. Yeah, their their economy, the top three um, uh, segments of their economy are agriculture, yeah. remittances, and tourism. Yeah, unless remittances is people that leave the country to go make a decent wage and then send money back home. Yeah, and that's, that's the number, number two. two segment of their economy. Crazy. And uh, with um, tourism as well, it's it's number three, but it's not entirely enormous. I think it it makes up um, a pretty decent portion, but it's not that big of a money maker. Again, because of things like the State Department website and the fact that the right. Civil War only ended fourteen years ago. Yeah, and I tell you, despite uh, except for Antigua, which we'll get into, that was the end of our trip. Mm-hmm. We didn't see any tourists where we went. No, we went definitely off the beaten path. Of way, Kuwait, right? Yeah, way in in country. We weren't we weren't like hanging out on the beach or anything like that. And Chuck, the uh, educational scene ain't exactly happening down there. Yeah, which is why we went and yeah. why Coed is there. Clearly, right. And uh, you mentioned Anne. Uh huh. So here's a clip of Anne explaining um, a couple of st- a stat that we found a little staggering. We know that in rural indigenous villages in Guatemala. Three out of four students who start first grade will drop out of school before they complete sixth grade. So of the four of us standing here, only one of us would actually complete sixth grade. That'd be Josh. That would be Josh, exactly. But that's good to know, Josh, that you would have been the one to stay in school. It's possible. I I think you were the clear winner. I appreciate that. And seemed to get a kick out of it. Yeah, and... um, most students who who live in Guatemala, she also told us during that interview, um, don't learn to read until maybe third grade. Right. And um, the teachers don't really feel that's a problem because they think that kids can't learn to read until that age. Right. So they don't teach them. They're finding, thanks to, to groups like co-ed, that, oh, wait, well, kids can actually start to learn to read in the first grade. If they have books. Right. Which is a big deal. Yeah. That's so that's why they're the, there. The whole thing that all this hinges on. Yeah, but that's one of their big programs. Yeah. We'll break that down a little bit later, right? Yeah. So that's why Coed's there. That's why we got invited to see the stuff firsthand. And so we begin our trip. So, Josh, we meet the three of us. Early. Early at Hartsfield Jackson here it was in Atlanta. so early. What a bonus for us is you, there's a direct flight to Guatemala from Atlanta. Just yeah. A scant, what was it, like three hours maybe? Three hours. Three hours and like 300 bucks for airfare round trip. Yeah. It was, yeah. Cool. It was a pretty good deal. Yeah. So we get on the plane. Uh, Jerry and I, are uh, we, we sit together. Josh elects not to sit with us because I, I love the quote you gave me when I was like, what's up with that? You said you'd like to leave it to the gods. <laughs> I like to leave it to fate to, to determine whether I'm going to die in an airplane sure. crash or not. So Josh is behind us, and uh, a funny nickname came out of this. Josh, I turned around at one point, because we all know from previous podcasts that you don't love to fly. 
No. It's not your favorite thing in the world. No, it's not. So you actually put the uh, black blanket that they give you, Jerry is so cracking up right now, <laughs> the black blanket that they give you over your entire body right. and head. Yeah. And it's like, Jerry, check it out. And we started calling you what? The the black ghost of the skies. The black ghost of the skies. Yeah. <laughs> I went to sleep. I needed to sleep because I don't like to fly. It was so funny. Um, And I had um, taken a painkiller. Right, so that that did you right, right? <laughs> I didn't out. wake up until we landed. I think <laughs> that was pretty awesome. And I remember, I, I um when we did land, I actually woke up right before we landed. And as we were coming in to the runway, um, right as we were touching down, I noticed there was like a line of airplanes that had apparently been stripped for parts. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Runway, I saw that. and I just thought, you've got to be kidding me. Right. <laughs> yeah, because I thought I was going to die. Remember? So, uh huh. Yeah. Sure. You probably thought that when we took off uh, from the same airport. What, that I was going to die? Well, not from r- beheading. No, but we're just reminded when you say, like, hey, we need a tire. Go get one. Right, yeah. Off that plane. <laughs> it was hilarious. So we get there. The, the the first, like, ten minutes in the airport is literally like a Three Stooges episode. We're just kind of, like, walking in circles. We know we have to go through uh, and show our passport. We know we need to exchange some money. Cambio. Cambio. Yeah. We need to go to Cambio. We eventually get outside and... This is when this is when coed shines. They really, I can't stress enough because we're gonna try and get some of you people out there to go on one of these trips. Yeah, one of these tours. They're so cool. They really take care of you, so there's no need to be worried about going to a foreign, scary land. Like the second we got out to the airport, they had the signs and the bus waiting for us. Mm-hmm. We met our cohorts and got on the bus and went to Guatemala City. Yeah, and Chuck, uh, I think all three of us. I was. Um, still groggy, uh, yeah. and we we decided that we needed to kind of um, create some intro uh, in the field that we could use, and um, we started drinking gallos, which is yeah. the, uh, the the national beer of Guatemala. And actually, you can get gallo here. Gallo is a uh, uh, rooster. Right? Yeah. It means rooster? I think so. Um, so they call it Famosa here, but it's the exact same beer. Right. Well, Coed hit the ground running, though. Remember they when we first got there? Oh, yeah. Holly, awesome Holly, met us at the hotel. <laughs> hip, 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 and hip. was like, here's a Subway sandwich. we got to go to our first school. Do you guys want to go? It's your option. And we were like, uh, we we want to like record an intro here. Right. So you guys go ahead, and we'll meet up later. Right. So so that was time well spent, because we were thinking about what to record while we were drinking Gaios. And eventually, we got to the <laughs> point where everything we recorded was just kind of useless. So I wish we could include some of that, because it's really funny. Yeah. Jerry was so frustrated with us, because we just we <laughs> weren't so we were doing a good job. Yeah. So, um, it, but it wasn't just that. It was also, we didn't really have a conception yet of what Coed did. And um, that was about to change, actually. Yeah. Because remember, we were still going down on the premise that we were going to record a podcast, Can uh, Education Alleviate Poverty? Right. Um, and, and this was about, I think it was in Guatemala City that night where the turning point began, and our eyes started to open more and more like, holy cow. Yeah, at dinner. At dinner. Yes. So they took us, they got back. Oh, I was setting us up for a clip. We don't have a clip for that. No, we don't okay, have a clip. so take That it sounded time. very much like an NPR setup. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we met up, they came back to the hotel. We, um, had a couple of beers at that point and failed miserably with our intro. And they all said, Hey, let's, uh, walk down the street here to this restaurant and we can talk a little bit. And I thought, are, are we going to be kidnapped at any point <laughs> during this walk? Right. Yeah. But we weren't. No, we weren't. And we ended up hanging out with, uh, Joe. 
Can I mention real quick our, our kidnapping plan that Jerry and I hatched? Yeah, you can. Because we, we came up with a plan if the three of us were kidnapped, then we were to tell them that Josh was a, a prince or a very rich man <laughs> in the United States and that we worked for him. We were mere servants. Yeah. And I figured that probably would have gotten us off. Yeah, it would have gotten you two off. Yeah. Thank you for that. Sure. All right, you guys are like, so long, chump. <laughs> prince Josh? Yes. Um, so we hung out with Joe. Yeah, Joe Berninger is one of the founders, along with his brother Jeff of Coed. Yeah, yeah, and they, um, Joe and Jeff, used to go down to Guatemala for spring break, right? Yeah, they were going down there having a good time, meeting the ladies. But they kind of they come from this like fairly uncommon family where like they had tons of like values instilled in them. So they're going down, hanging out. It was sickening, actually. And it, it was. I felt like a piece of trash. Yeah. J- Jeff was telling us all about his parents. I was like, wow. Yeah. They sound like really great people. Yeah. So much so that um, I guess they kind of led to the to Joe and Jeff being inspired to actually go back to Guatemala and live there, right? Yeah. To help this country. Yeah. And and they've done it in a very clever way. Do you like all this like um, teasing that we're doing? Jeff? Right, right. People are like, what do they do? Yeah, exactly, yeah. I told you it hinges on books. It does. So we had this awesome dinner. Joe and Holly give us this really, really great rundown to where we finally feel like, all right, we got a really good idea what's going on here. And we're not ready to share that with you yet. We're not ready to share that. <laughs> we go uh, to sleep. We go Betty Bye. Yes. I, I watch a little uh, Spanish language Seinfeld. I watched, um, I think Law and Order in English was on down there, and I was like, oh, thank God. So we awake in our uh, was it the, the Radisson at Guatemala City, mm-hmm. and uh, we they have a couple of buses arranged for us. So it's like Mercedes, the small Sprinter buses. I know they're nice. Yeah, not the huge chicken buses. No. Although we saw plenty of those. Those are rad. Those are brightly colored. And little aside, do you know why chicken buses are painted brightly, vividly, and differently? I do, but you should say so. It's because. A significant amount of the Guatemalan population who use those buses can't read yeah. where it's going. So they just know, oh, this red bus with the Tasmanian devil on it is going to Atitlan. And right. that's where I need to go, and Bingo. I'm going there. Pretty cool. Nice little fact to it, Josh. Yeah. So uh, we actually, that's where we went. We went to uh, Santiago Atitlan, yeah. which is where Lake Atitlan is. Beautiful. And actually, you should check out the coolest stuff on the planet um, cast on Lake Atitlan. Yeah, yeah. There's they some great footage it. that Jerry took while we were down there. Uh-huh. Uh, so we arrived there, and it's like, I think it was a few hours by bus. We got to see some of the countryside, tobacco farms. Coffee. Coffee. Bananas. Bananas. Yes. Agriculture. <laughs> poor, poor towns. Yeah. So we arrived there at the lake, and this is a volcanic lake formed a long, long time ago from a volcano. And the, I think three <laughs> volcanoes are surround it, right? Yeah, those are dormant. But on the way up, we saw a couple of volcanoes that are um, active. Had smoke coming out of them. Yeah. Oh, the first time for me ever. Yeah, me too. Um, and yeah, Atitlan, I think, was formed about 80,000 years ago. I learned from the Coolest Stuff cast. Um, and it, it was actually ridiculously polluted for many, many years, which is yeah. kind of screwy because it's a major tourist destination for Guatemala. So they actually bioremediated it. Yeah, and they said it's all good now. Yeah, we saw know. people swimming in it. Chuck and I didn't get it. I don't it, know if I would We thought maybe from it. after a couple more years of bioremediation, <laughs> right. we'd get in it. But it was gorgeous stuff. Oh, man, unbelievable. And people um, canoe standing up. Yeah. 
It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Very good balance. Yeah. So we're at this idyllic scene. We go to this little uh, place that, that's run by this hippie expat, American <laughs> expat. Yeah. Which is my dream to do this one day. Yeah, I know. To Chuck move was to like very, a Central American jealous. country. Oh, yeah, man. you were jealous of that guy. It was awesome. He had it going on. And actually, there was um, the 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 resort that we stayed at was around in the '60s, I think. Yeah. And it was taken over by the army, uh, and they they had to evacuate. The guy's mom had owned it originally. Right. And to call it a resort is like kind of overstating things. It was really awesome, but there were little huts, like like uh, stone cabanas. Kind of peppered, like 10 or 12 of them peppered on the property. Yeah, it was called uh, Posada de Santiago. Yeah, and it was awesome. And this was, the, we should point out, this is the first first time on the trip and only time, and probably only time in our history, that we will all stay in the same place. Yes. We had to share, a, not a room. Jerry, luckily, had could close the door and had her own room. But you and I were there like New Hampshire, Vermont, on those little twin beds. Right, and apparently Chuck confirmed something that I've I've been told before <laughs> that I snore really, really, really loudly. Oh wow, yeah. yeah, it's kind of a problem actually. It sounded like a sow being murdered, and <laughs> <laughs> with a spoon. Weird. It was bad. You're not the first person who said that. Really? Yeah. The room was awesome though. Little fireplace. It was very cool. So we get there, we uh, set up, and had an awesome lunch. All, all the food was great the whole trip. Yeah, it's going to get old saying we had an awesome meal because it was so delicious. <laughs> well, I noticed that in the uh, in the rundown, you noted every single one of them. So those things really stuck with you, didn't? I'm all about the food. Awesome meal. Mention this. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one of the first things we did was we went out. They took us out for a little tour of the of the main square in town. Mm-hmm. Saw a church from like 1730 or right, something. A church where um, the um, lead. I guess priest, the head priest, um, was murdered. He was an oh, American really? priest down there, and he was murdered in the Civil War, and that was kind of a big deal. Yeah, very big deal. And remember, they had like the uh, r- the carpet made of flowers going oh, yeah. from the f- from the doorway uh-huh. to the altar, which had to be at least fifty, sixty yards. And it wasn't. We should say it wasn't just flat. We're going to put pictures of all this on the uh, website, by the way, so you can check it all out. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just flowers. It was an intricate design made of flower petals. Right. The entire way. It was astounding, actually. And it we was. found that it was. It's considered um, uh, a very gracious way to welcome people uh-huh. by putting down evergreen straws, and then you got flowers over there, like sure. higher up. But if you put down evergreen, then your guests' feet never touch the ground. Yeah, and they, every school we went to, mm-hmm. they did that for us. And it was, I don't know, I've never had anyone do that before. No, but I've started doing it around my house. Oh, you do that for yeah. you and me? Yeah. <laughs> I felt very unworthy. Yeah. If I did that to Emily, she'd be like, pick all that stuff up off the floor. What are you doing? <laughs> what kind of a mess is this? <laughs> so um, <laughs> we uh, take a tour around the, the main town there, and then they set us up with a visit to the home of a, a girl that had been um, one of the co-ed students, and still is, I think, at the Taxicoy family. Yeah. And they invited us into their home. And, hey, uh, we've got a clip for this one, buddy. Yeah. Today, um, we went, um, we did kind of a tour of the town here, which is very poor, to say the least. Yeah. Very eye-opening for guys like us. Yeah. And uh, we met a family, actually, whose daughter had uh, has benefited from the, from the co-ed uh, program. Yeah, Maria. Maria. Yeah. And they invited us into their home. Yeah, it's a very small home. You walk in, half of it maybe is roofed. 
Yeah. Uh, we went. We all assembled in this one room, and we found out that it was the room they sleep in. Uh-huh. So, I mean, it was obviously a really big deal for them. They, they, they straightened everything up for these gringo guests to come gawk and take pictures and ask questions about them. Right. But they, you could tell that they're very, very grateful. So and, welcoming, too. Yeah, and, and the dad, too. I mean, <clears throat> to put all of his kids through school, and he's doing it at his own detriment. Right. Because he actually could use these kids to be productive money makers for the house. Right. But instead they're off at school not making any money. And yet this guy was dedicated. And he, he didn't look like it to look at him. He just looked like some normal Guatemalan guy. Right. Uh, but there was something in him that said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to stop this with this generation. I'm right. going to send all of my kids to school. And he has. Yeah, he wants, and that's kind of the whole thing. And he wants his kids to exceed their own expectations even and what do they say they uh the kids want to exceed themselves yeah exceed themselves i'm and not sure what that is in spanish but <laughs> right yeah. i bet it sounds a lot better than that right but uh the, the only way to do that we're learning is to be educated because if you don't have an education in guatemala and really anywhere your options are extremely limited mm-hmm. and here more so than than most places probably so that was a real eye-opener yeah, it really was, and I this, I can't get over the dad. He was about three feet tall, yeah. all smiles. <laughs> Such um, a kind face. I don't think he's. Did they speak Spanish or did they speak? Uh, that, no, they were speaking Spanish because we were had the translation going. Okay, I thought it was being translated into like Chichicao. Oh, was it? I, th- I I I could just be making that up, but yeah, this guy lives in abject poverty. They actually rented the house that we visited them in. They rented a couple of rooms. The whole thing wasn't even theirs. Yeah. Um, and instead of like having his kids go work to, to support the family, like every other Guatemalan family, he's making sure all three of his kids go through school. Yeah. It's, it's just really, once it sinks in, you know, the guy is the guy, what the guy's doing is really amazing. Yeah. That was very touching. Yeah. And they were I very gracious. Him, actually, and he did I touch went, him. <laughs> Poke, I like you. Yeah. And he hugged you back. It was very nice. So after that, we go back to the main town. They have set up some, uh, we we should set this up. They have what they have in Guatemala are these little tiny little Toyota pickup trucks, the little ones. Yeah. And they have these little A frames wide open A frames built in the beds of the truck so they can carry around like twelve people back there standing up. That's their taxis. And you just kinda hold on standing up to this little A frame. That's their taxis. So that they set us up with these trucks, Coed did, so yeah. we could go out a little bit on the outskirts of town and see a couple of cool things. And it was, and that's like, ever. I felt like it was a real adventure. Yeah, point. it was. I mean, like, we had the wind blowing our faces, and we were, you know, hip to hip. Yes, hip to hip. It and was the sexiest cab, well, one of the sexiest cab rides I've ever been on. <laughs> that was good. Uh, and we went to, uh, the first place we saw, we went to was to see this, and I'm going to let you set this up, because this obviously meant a lot to you, but we went to see <laughs> someone or something called Mashiman. Right, and um, we had a choice. We could have either gone shopping or gone to see Mashimon, right? Mashimon. Yeah, we all went to see Mashimon. Well, Mashimon, we went to see him, actually, because it turns out he's my patron saint. Yes. He <laughs> is um, called the man in black at the crossroads or the black man at the crossroads. Right. Papa Legba in Western African culture. But basically, he's this guy. He's the god of vice. Yes. And actually, this is hilarious because I went, and I didn't know this at the time, but they keep him locked up. And every, uh, definitely every year, but I think like every couple months, they have a kind of a ceremony in his honor 
Um, and it moves from, it's every year and it moves from house to house. Uh-huh. And you never really know where Mashamon is. And they keep him locked up because his sexuality is too much. Oh, really? He's like the Antonio Banderas <laughs> of like, uh, gods. Wow. Yeah. So, um, what 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 he, what service he offers to his flock, me included, is that you can come bring him sacrifices, and yeah. he'll help alleviate your vices. Yep. So uh, we bought some, uh, or Josh paid what like twenty cents for a, a half pint of the local swill. They called it rum. No, it was like sugarcane moonshine. Yeah, but they the the local guys called it rum. I, I don't it, know. If, that was no rum. It was not rum. It was called. Uh, I looked it up. It's called guaro. It's actually Costa Rican. Oh, okay. But there's the sugarcane rum or sugarcane moonshine down there is serious stuff. And actually, so I, I buy it and I'm like, well, Chuck, we should probably try this. Jerry declined. Sure. Chuck and I both tried it. Chuck shuddered. I didn't, which I think I think made it all the more reason I should dry out a little bit. Because yeah, I didn't you like, shudder from this. Oh, so. you got some cereal I can pour this over? <laughs> right. So I, I, I offer a cigarette to Mashamon as uh-huh. a sacrifice, and the guy takes it from me and puts it in Mashamon's mouth and lights it. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, I just knocked a cigar out of his mouth. Now my cigarette's in there, right? This is going to be good for me. And then I go and get the liquor and then go in there. And you have to be very quiet. This is quite sincere and i oh, was yeah. actually, i was very sincere too i was sure. mocking in any way no, shape, no. or form like i, I was really hoping mashamon would actually. help me but it's it's this dark strangely lit barn tiny barn you could fit maybe a donkey and a half in it right and there's this acrid incense burning i think it was frankincense and this crowded with sweaty people and a couple of guys are running the show and right. people are on their knees and like just praying before mashamon and he's this carved uh, probably Three and a half, four feet tall figure. So he was life size, pretty much for Guatemala, yeah, right? <laughs> and um, so they put the cigarette in his in his mouth, and then when I brought the whiskey or the moonshine, they they actually put a funnel in his mouth, held a little bandana underneath his carved lip, and poured it into his mouth. Yeah, and they didn't pour it all. And another reason why I know that I needed Mashmon's help was because I waited around to see if they gave me the rest of the bottle back. Yeah, and they didn't. And they did not. They, well, that's part of the uh, the little nod and a wink you get is they take it very seriously. They also collect a lot of liquor in right. the, in the yeah. process. Yeah, I imagine if you're running the Mashmon ceremony, you get pretty lit. Yes. Yeah. Probably so. So that was a pretty big experience. Yeah, we, we're going to have pictures of that up too. Yeah, yeah. And um, we left there. And that was pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. Uh, because I was doing that because I want to be a dad, and I need to get in better health, you know? Sure. So it was cool. I felt good. And then we go straight to one of the most depressing places I've ever been in my entire life. Yes, Josh. The mudslides uh, from Hurricane Stan in 2005, devastating to this small town. Well, yeah. I Village. like 400 of the 500 people who live there. Uh, 1,500 people. Holy cow. Died. Wait, and just... Just the village? Well, no, that's all over. That's in all of Guatemala. Oh, okay. From the hurricane. I think this village is the worst hit, though, because it was like 500 people that, or 400 people that died, and then 1,500 people in the whole country died from it. Right. They record. Uh, they recovered se- only 77 corpses, and 300 people are still missing and presumed dead. Basically, where we were standing was what they say, like 15 feet. Higher than it used to be, and un- yeah. below us was a mass grave of bodies. Yeah, a village, and a lot of people were um, sleeping. It was pretty early in the morning, 
and you could actually look up the mountain and see still the trees hadn't fully grown back. Yeah, there was like a swath cut mm-hmm. where and the mud came. It came right down right over the village and just covered it. Yeah. Uh, and it was pretty um, sobering because w- one of the kids that we were talking to, uh, well, we weren't, but our group was, um, was an orphan whose family was beneath his feet somewhere. Yeah. And then to the right, there was an old uh, school police station and hospital Uh and they're gutted and abandoned but you could still see the high mud mark yeah and this kid i mean he was he was all by himself he lost all his brothers and sisters and his Mm -hmm. parents and he was now taking care of these other kids and he looked to be about like 17 i remember they said like no he's like 13 yeah and he lost his parents when he was like eight yeah and he's been taking care of these kids ever since yeah Unbelievable. It really was. It's very sad. Yes, and actually, so was the next place we visited, too. Yes, Josh. The next site we went to was uh, the site of a massacre that happened during the Civil War. Yeah. In 1990, the Guatemalan Army opened fire on an unarmed crowd of between 2,000 and uh, 4,000 protesters that had finally kind of had enough. Yeah, the Army had had a garrison in um, Atitlan, right? Yeah. And like just about every other town over a population of 10,000. And um, they used to just basically abuse the population. And one night, these uh, soldiers got drunk, beat up some guys at a, at a bar, started breaking into people's houses, and just basically being jerks. And <laughs> That's finally, a light way to put it. Right. So this guy who was injured in the bar fight, um, I guess, went and told the mayor or something. And, and everybody got woken up. And went to the army garrison, demanded that they stop abusing the the population, and so the the um, I guess one of the the guys who was heading the the garrison said, "Well, what do you have to say?" And somebody shot into the air, and somebody else just started firing into the crowd. Yeah, they ended up killing uh, fourteen people in an age range from ten to fifty three. Twenty one others were wounded, mm-hmm. and. Uh, we visited there and they literally have a um, sort of like a little open plaza in the woods and they have a little memorial at each spot where each person was killed. Yeah, they have the original steps that were there. So, yeah. And, and yeah, there's, it's pretty, again, sobering. Yeah. They have, they have very mass somber place. There, um, I think once a month or something. Yeah, and they still do have mass there. Yeah. But the good news is, out of all that, uh, two weeks later, at, as a result of the pressure and outcry over this, the army uh, vacated the garrison there at least. And Atitlan became one of the few communities that um, didn't have a military base. Right, yeah. This one, for some reason, just stirred up, you know, the anger and resentment of everybody in Guatemala. Even the people who were running the military turned on the military for this one. Right. So at this point, we are, like, in Guatemala. I mean, we are really feeling like we got a handle on what's going on here after this day. Do you remember we were walking around Atitlan, and I was like, look, you know, like 10 or yeah. 20 years ago, there were guerrillas sitting here with AK-47 shooting it out with militias. Nuts. Like, where we're walking right now, you could feel it. it still had left some sort of impression on the area. Yeah, it was very creepy. Yeah. And those little tight alleyways, and I was just trying to, like, wrap my head around coming around a corner and seeing a gorilla with a gun. Yeah. And, uh, you know, kids everywhere. It was just awful. Yeah. But at the same time, it was a really, really nice town, too. Oh, yeah. You know, like, it, it was this kind of dual experience. Well, yeah, because Lake Atitlan is a place where gringo tourists go because it's so gorgeous. Right. So it's a little weird. Yeah. So uh, we get back to the place, the, our little uh, hippie cabana, 
and uh, have a little happy hour by the lake. Yes, we did. Which was one of the other great things about these tours is they believe in unwinding at the end of the day and fellowshipping with each other and having a cold one, cold gallo. Yeah. So it was this gorgeous setting. We have a great dinner once again. <laughs> and we were able to get uh, co-founder Jeff Berninger in the cabin afterward for a little... <laughs> we lured him into Yeah, we cabana. lured him in there with a fire and beer and yeah. said, come in here and speak to us. And uh, we got to talk to him a little bit more about co-ed and... We have a clip here of his thoughts on his initial inspiration to uh, start this nonprofit. What, when did the first seed of, um, I see a need here and part of me wants to do something about it? When yeah. did that first hit you? That started when uh, I was looking for a volunteer opportunity. I think a lot of us, you know, we come down, we see a beautiful country, we backpack, we try to learn a language, and we see the poverty. So what can I do to help? Right. Well... What I found out was that with my level of Spanish, there was very little I could do to help. So, except maybe teach English. And I found a school that was willing to allow me to come in and teach English. It was a volunteer opportunity, and it was something I thought I could do well. Of course, I learned out later that I learned later that I was not um, really cut out for teaching. But <laughs> what I learned in the classroom was that the kids didn't have books. And the way this started was, since I didn't know how to teach, I thought, well, the simplest way to teach would be just to, to get the book and follow it, you know, start in chapter one and go to chapter two, chapter three. Right. Um, but since there was no books, I'm like, well, you know, I've got to find books. So I'm, I'll, I'll ask the math teacher and the science teacher where they get their books because obviously they don't have English books. It's a Spanish-speaking country. Well, I found out the math and science teachers didn't have books either. I'm like, well, this is nuts. I, you know, how do you teach? So, Josh, here's how the textbook program works. And I know you know this, but pretend that I'm telling you for the first time. Okay. Everybody in podcast land, here's how it works. What they do is it's a really cool program because it is self-sustaining. They realize at some point that uh, early on that dropping things off and leaving, they call it the drop and go. Yeah. That's not the way to go. I'm sure that people need supplies and things like that, but in the end, they feel like uh, just to have something dropped and, and leaving isn't really doing them a lot of good. Well, it's not sustainable, and that's the exactly. that's the point of the textbook um, program is that it is sustainable, starting out with the first bit of seed money. Exactly. So what happens is um, they are able to buy books really cheap in bulk, textbooks, deliver them to these students, and these students actually, these very, very poor, poor students, actually pay money to rent these textbooks for the year. Right, and we should probably say... Um, Right here, it's like two bucks a year. Yeah. Per student. Per student. Per book. Per book. Right. So what happens is these kids, they rent the books. That money goes into what they call a revolving fund, an escrow account. Right. And in five years, the money, the collective money has uh, grown to the point where they can now replace the original set of textbooks. Right. Or if they, they um, when co-ed takes these books to these schools, there's a program a part of it is taking care of your textbook, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, th- so these kids are taking care of their textbooks. We'll, we'll hear why in a second. But um, so if their books, if say the math books are in really good shape still, they can use that money instead of replacing those. They can get another subject right. with, that, with that money. Sure. Or they will replace those books, and then the used textbooks become part of their used textbook program and can go to some of the scholarship kids who can't even afford the two bucks. Right. So it's a self-sustaining program 
once these kids uh, rent into the program, they've got textbooks for life, basically, or right. for their entire run of education. And here's Jeff's talking about um, why he's found the program works. Many people have told us that it, that it would never work. They won't return the books. Um, and, and that's actually a key piece of the, of the, of the reason why that there's a, the fee program works. Because we've seen it, the school principals tell us that this is the case, that when someone has to pay, even if it's a small fee, that they, that they respect what they receive a lot more. If someone hands you something in the street, a piece of paper, a, a, a small publication, for free, the likelihood of you keeping it or valuing it versus tossing it in the garbage can is much higher. And it's much higher that you will not read it because you've not put anything into it. But if you have to pay a small fee for it, it's much more likely that you're going to read it or keep it. And Chuck, um, two bucks, two bucks a year per book, say three books, six bucks a year. Uh-huh. It's paltry, but times how many kids? Sometimes though, right? But uh, but you want to make sure that you're not thinking it as an American, like, right? Is it really paltry? So Jeff said that Coed um, did a study to find out how. Uh, expensive it was to these families. Yeah, whether or not they could actually afford it. They'd struggle with that for a long time. That's the question we've been asking ourselves for uh, for the last 12 years. And we started by simply asking the, the school officials. And, and they said, the principal and the, and the teachers and everything, and they clearly believe that yes, they can. But we're concerned about that because some people in the development community believe that if there's any cost to education or the benefit that someone's receiving, that it becomes a barrier of entry into education, that you're keeping kids out of school because you're raising the cost of them going to school. But we've we've actually found that not to be the case with textbooks. We've gone so far as to interview the students um, through a third-party organization, through one of the universities in Guatemala City, um, interviewed the students receiving the textbooks after they had graduated from the program. And asking them on a simple scale of one to five, are the books very affordable, kind of affordable, mediocre, expensive, you know, on that scale. And, they, and basically the, re, the results came back saying the, the books were either, were either cheap or, or, or affordable. So that's good news. They put a lot of work into researching this, and they did find that, you know, they, they were validated and that the parents can't afford it and that they believe in paying for it. And that's what really blew me away about this whole thing is that something earned is much more important than something given to you. Right. And and that's why the program's been so successful, Chuck. So what we found this is this is when our eyes were really starting to open too. Jerry's too. Like she was walking around, there's like a little crusty drool on the side of her mouth. Like she's like, <laughs> What is going on here? Right. But what we found was this group that we're we're with um goes down to Guatemala, they rustle up American money, buy, uh, they identify schools that say, yes, we want to be part of your textbook program because sure. it's contractual. Oh, yeah. Um, and they buy these books, take them down to donate them, and uh, the kids rent these books. All this money is put in an escrow account for the school, and then after X number of years, they can replace the books or add new books. And it's self-sustaining because those new books are rented and rented and rented and rented. So this bit of seed money that buys these 200 books at first, ends up spreading um, throughout the community. Right. And you know what? I just want to go ahead and say now, $5 
is what it costs to buy textbooks for one kid for a full school year. And you will have your opportunity to give just $5 later on. Nice. Little teaser. You are going to take over after <laughs> Jerry Lewis retires. For the telethon? Yeah. I should. Uh, so we uh, had a great talk with Jeff. It was awesome. Filled us, filled us in, and we were really felt like we knew what we were in in for at the end of day two. Yeah. Our first really big day out. Yeah. And uh, we had a couple more guys mm-hmm. and tumbled into uh, slumber. And it was time to go to sleep. And it was time to go to sleep. So the next morning, dude, we wake up, and uh, we have a boat ride in store for us across the lake, which we are pretty excited about, because, you know, just being on a boat on an awesome lake is exciting for me. Yeah, Lake Atitlan, which we described, and actually, no one has any idea how deep it actually is. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I think some say it's like as deep as it is at its widest point, but that's like lore. It sounds like lore. Right. So we uh, take off, and the, the lake is actually much bigger than what we were seeing from our, from our little cabana there. So it was like a 30-minute boat ride uh, to a village called, uh, I know we're going to butcher this one. You're going to butcher this one. I'm not even trying. Pana, Panahachel? Nice. I think that's it. That's what we're going to go for. Panahachel. And you pointed out that it looked like the little village in the movie Popeye. Mm-hmm. And if you look on the internet under this, if you Google that, P-A-N-A-J-A-C-H-E-L, I think you might agree. Yes. It was very cool looking. Yeah, it was. And we disembarked? We disembarked. Uh, that wasn't actually where we were going. That was just where we landed. No, I get the impression they just kind of wanted to show off. Like, yeah, yeah, sure. Because we, we, we <laughs> went across the lake by boat and then got off and then got on buses. Yeah. So I think they're just like, hey. The wow factor? Yeah. <laughs> well, it worked. And it did work for sure. Uh, and we took pictures on the boat. Those will be up on the website as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we load up on the buses again and we set out for the Pichabaj cooperative school yeah because we were talking about how they come down with uh textbooks to to donate to a school that's sure. agreed to enter into this program right and uh we got this is our first donation we got to see because they make yeah. a big to do out of it oh yeah it's like that's that's the main point of these tours that you go on is you go to the different schools and they uh you know you're welcome with open arms you're welcome with dance and song mm-hmm. and uh we danced with you know some of the little girls there. They would come and grab our hands and dance with us. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. But you really feel special, and they, they really roll out the, the, in this case, evergreen carpet, I guess, for you. Yeah. And at this school, we were able to learn about the corp program, the culture of reading program. Right. And, Chuck, first, let me say, this was the, the poorest of the poor as far as the schools and the areas we saw. Big time. There wasn't a discernible town because this was, like, the highest highlands that we entered into. Yeah. And it was like road, mountain. Step farming on the mountain, which is really cool looking. Exactly. There wasn't really a town. It was all along this road. It was uh, wide rather than condensed in any way. Right. Um, and But the people were very, very gracious and very, very happy to see us. Yeah. So when we say poor school, mm-hmm. let's set up a mental image. Think uh, cinder block rooms, mm-hmm. kind of this rancid smell in the air. Dust everywhere. Dust everywhere. Uh desks that look like they were donated from like you know some of the atomic experiments in new mexico in the 40s <laughs> was it the 40s yeah <laughs> and uh it, it's just like beyond poor what you would think of as poor 
It is, and, but again, the people came from all over the community for this this um, donation. Um, and yeah. the kids actually, we were with the the young kids in the the early hours, uh-huh. and we were also there for when classes transferred because right. it's young kids in the same school, young kids in the morning, older kids uh, in the afternoon. And it's because number one, they only have one school, but number two, because the older kids get up and work in the fields in the morning and then go to school. And when we say in the morning, they get up at like four a.m. to make the tortillas and then to work in the fields. Yeah. So they can attend school. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, the kids, we got to give out pens and pencils, which <laughs> Jerry uh, also brought some like stickers and things, but she brought like. Seven stickers. I remember there were yeah. like a hundred kids. I remember tugging I, I and pulling set off her. the. Uh, I set off the deluge. Yeah, I, I grabbed one of the kids and pointed, and right. then pointed to like what Jerry was holding, and she just went over, and all of a sudden they all just flocked right. to Jerry. It was hilarious. She took to it though. She was kind of like trying to instill some order. She was like, "All right, all right, everyone, calm yeah. down. Let's yeah. let's get this done." Which is funny too, because uh, a lot of these kids are uh, monolingual and just spoke in their uh, Mayan dialect. So Jerry's sitting there bro- speaking broken Spanish to him. And even if they spoke in Spanish, they wouldn't know what she was saying, but yeah. they definitely had right. no clue what she was saying. And yet they still formed a line. Yeah, they did. Yeah. The universal language Strictness. lineup. So, uh, but I, I just, on a personal note, to see these kids clamoring over these pens and pencils like it was a an Xbox made me want to slap American kids a little bit, to be is honest. That, is that what the kids are playing with these days? <laughs> That's what they're playing with these days. Or the, the PS3. I don't know. The iPhone. <laughs> But they were treating these pens and pencils like they were, you know, precious. And to them, they are. Yeah. So uh, they had a little ceremony like they did at all the schools, a little uh, traditional symbolic dancing and uh, performing of, uh, you know, I think, what, what kind of ceremony did they it do here? It was the uh, corn dance that they performed. Oh, that's right, the corn dance. Yeah, it was Harvest. about how uh, the corn was given to them by the gods, right? Yeah. And uh, it's pretty cool. And actually, by the, the last school we went to, Chuck, Jerry, and I could have performed the corn dance because so. we saw it at every single one. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I could probably roughly perform it yeah. now. Well, I'm not going to, deal. but I could. You should. Uh, and then we got to meet a lady named Carolyn Johnson. She's from Portland, Maine. Yeah, she's pretty cool. Lifelong educator, uh, principal, school principal that went on a co-ed tour and went back and said, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to go to Guatemala yep. because... They're not snotting those little brats that don't appreciate things down there. Well, this the uh, this the experience in Guatemala really led you to disdain American kids, didn't it? No, that's not true. But um, Carolyn obviously didn't say anything like that. She's like one of the sweetest ladies no, I've ever met. In my she's life. very kind and soft spoken, but with it and sharp. Yeah, she actually went down uh, on a tour like we were on and joined up and actually ended up creating. A, an entirely new program that co-ed institutes. Right. And uh, we asked her what, you know, inspired her to leave her life behind and go to Guatemala. And here's what she had to say. I think the thing that, that really that really spoke to me, we went to an elementary school just to deliver some some pencils and books and miscellaneous kinds of things. And the principal found out that I was also a principal in the U.S. and came up to me and said, can you help? My teachers don't know how to teach reading. Um, We appreciate all this stuff, but we don't know what to do. So I started talking to Joe and Jeff, and they said, oh, we've looked into getting into educational kinds of things, but they said, we're not educators, and we need somebody to help us. So I started volunteering with them, and at one point decided, you know, working down here and working with these kids would be a lot more fun than continuing to be a school administrator in the United States, and so here I am. So how awesome was she? 
She's very cool. Very cool lady, doing great work. And how cool did the little birds in the background sound? Yeah, you could actually kind of hear how beautiful a day it was, yeah, it thanks was. to the birds. That wasn't sound designed by Jerry. No, although it could have been. It could have been. So uh, she works with the court, uh, the Culture of Reading program, and we. why don't we get her to uh, tell us about what CORE is instead of us doing it. So what does um, CORP stand for, and what, what are the basic fundamentals of the program? Yeah. CORP is Culture of Reading program. Um, that culture of reading was something really important to us. We, we came to the schools and we saw that if you gave a second grader or third grader a, a book, a, a short piece of text, they could read the words off the page. Mm-hmm. But they essentially had no comprehension. Right. They, the, the words didn't have meaning. And without books in their homes, without books in their schools, reading is not something they do for enjoyment. And it's not something they see as valuable. Um, they, they don't see picking up a newspaper as, as something that will help them, that will assist them, or going to look for information in text. So developing that culture of reading. So we want the kids not only to be able to read and develop those critical thinking skills, we want them to want to read. We want them to, to see that reading is something you do for pleasure, and it's something that you do that will enrich your life. So Chuck, what Carolyn and um, the Cooperative for Education figured out was that um, teachers were teaching kids to read basically just writing their assignments on the board and then kids had to scribble them down real quick before they were erased yeah, they were and copying. There, there was no comprehension whatsoever right so the court program that carolyn created um is part teaching kids to read but it's also part teaching teachers how to teach kids to read yeah. So instead of just standing there and reading very quickly from a book, it involves like reading in a very big voice and like like you read to kids yeah. and showing them the pictures so that they're comprehending. There's not just a string of letters. There's comprehension to the words. Sure. I mean, I was under the impression it's more for the teachers because they had never seen books either. Well, no, it's part for the kids too because remember the books get translated into a um, a picture book and then a play. And then I think a, another big book. Right. So technically this one book that they start off with, by the end of the week, they have three books and they've made a play out of it. So they have the book down flat yeah. in, 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 in a week. Pretty awesome. Yeah. So that's the end of part one of SYSK's Guatemalan Adventure. Uh, the exciting conclusion is coming up on Thursday. And stick around after these words to hear how you can buy student textbooks for life with just a $5 text donation. This episode of Stuff You Should Know is brought to you by GoToMeeting, the affordable way to meet with clients and colleagues. For your free 30-day trial, visit GoToMeeting.com slash stuff. Okay, folks, if you like what you've heard so far about the Cooperative for Education and you want to support them, you can do so with just a $5 text donation. And here's how it works. Just text the word STUFF, S-T-U-F-F, to 20222, and you will donate $5 to help put a textbook into the hands of a Guatemalan child. You will receive a text back asking you to confirm the donation and just reply with the word YES to complete the donation. And you will see a one-time $5 uh, charge on your wireless bill or deducted from your prepaid balance. Message and data rates may apply, and if you stop and change your mind before confirming the donation, which you shouldn't do, you can reply the word STOP, stop, to 20222, or if you need help, reply with the word HELP, H-E-L-P. Donations are collected by the Mobile Giving Foundation. For more info, you can call 
866-810-1203 or go to hmgf.org slash T. So uh, tune in Thursday for, for the conclusion, the exciting conclusion of SYSK's Guatemalan Adventure. Adios. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?